Well, hello, Rise Guys and Rise Gals. It is Russ Fader. Uh, I'm John Marvel. <laughs> It's okay. No, this is, I guess this is the dynamic now. Great. That's fine. Um, this is a special treat of a mini-sode for you. Um, John has been doing some traveling. I am currently doing some traveling. And, uh, so we haven't been able to get together for the next episode, next full episode, which will be coming out soon, and I trust will be fun. We've got some fun stuff lined up in the coming weeks. Uh, by the way, this is Mad About Mad About You, your uh, weekly Mad About You recap podcast. And, yeah, so this week, as John and I could not get it together together, uh, we're going to get it together apart, which means that uh, as a special treat, we're coming to you from the road, and we've got a fun little conversation lined up with, uh, right here in the car, doing the driving, is, uh, the wonderful Miss Jen Leeson. Hi, Jen. Hi, Russ. It's good to have you. It's good to be here. This is fun. This is, uh, this, Jen, Jen, you and I date each other. Yes. We have been. Yes. We will continue to. That's all correct so far. Yeah. I'm checking off all the boxes, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This all rings true. Um, yeah, you, 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 this is not a kidnapping in process. No, <laughs> no You're nobody's here on your own will. Nobody is under duress. Yeah. And um, we are currently where are we? We're in the middle of Pennsylvania. Oh, I wish we were in the middle of Pennsylvania. Oh no, are no. We... <laughs> we're an hour and a half from the middle of Pennsylvania. Oh no, we're a little closer to Jersey still. Well, that's not great. Um, at least we're in. Stop and go traffic. Right. So we're in stop and go traffic on the way to Ohio from where we live in New York City. Yeah. We are heading out to Akron, which will be <laughs> loverly. Um, it's unseasonably warm out today, so that's kind of nice. It's nice driving weather. Yes. Very pretty. The uh, the trees, they are changing. Like yeah. the times. <laughs> oh, boy. Do you think that Bob Dylan wrote a draft of that song... That was originally called The Trees They Are a Changing. Yeah, I think he was probably stuck in traffic on 80 West, too. <laughs> Come gather my saplings and tell me the tale. Oh, boy. Oh, this is what you get. Oh, so. Yeah. So, this. I thought I, I thought I was ready for it. I don't know. No, no. This is. Well, this is funny because. Um. Typically, when I record the podcast, I record from our bedroom, and you hear one side from you. You hear my side of the conversation through a, a do, through the door in the other room of our apartment. Yeah, with probably one air conditioning and maybe the TV on. Yeah, so you don't. So if I'm lucky, if I'm lucky, I hear part of what you are saying. Yes. So um, may want to be a little bit louder. I'm not Sorry. positive. Quite all right. 
Um, so. I almost just screamed into your microphone. <laughs> no, well, I'm glad you didn't do that. <laughs> but, um, but that being said, yeah, you don't, you listen to the episodes, but you don't know about the stupidity as it happens. Well, I know about half of the stupidity that happens. Right. I don't get to hear John's side because you guys don't record together. Sure. Plus, you live with my stupidity. I mean, I get to listen to your stupidity all the time. On a regular basis. Mm -hmm. So, you're pretty well-versed. I'm familiar with your work. Yeah. Great, great, great. (laughs) (laughs) So, so this week, um, we did something a little bit fun. It's it's, it's seasonal. (laughs) Seasonal. Um, as it is October, the spookiest of months. Well, it's October when we're recording this. I don't know what month it will be when you are listening to it. It will but... still be October. People will hear this. Oh, that would, well, if, if everybody is on their game, like I'm sure they are when it comes to listening to this podcast, they will hear it in less than one week. That being said, if you're in the you future, it's welcome. One, you think it's a one and done? I just... Okay. <laughs> I'm just thinking about the future life of your You're absolutely recording. right. I always I always forget. You're very that. stuck in one moment in time. You're right. <laughs> um just, just yeah, podcasts are not ephemeral. Just, just delete that out of the iPhone as soon as you listen to yeah, it. That's that me. Gone. That's me. Um But regardless, yes. When this comes out, when it re- when this is being recorded and when it will be released, it is October. And very spooky month. Mm-hmm. And you and I have been ringing in the spookiness of this month by watching a little show called Tales from the Crypt on DVD. That's correct. And so we looked into this to determine, hey, well, here's what happened. We said, hey, Tales from the Crypt was on at the same time as Mad About You. Let's do a little, you know, every week we cover... The shows from the week that Mad About You was released. Right. You guys talk about what's on TV. Yes. Must hear TV, as we used to call it and seldom do Mm -hmm. anymore. So we said, hey, let's let's talk about Tales from the Crypt. And there was a Tales from the Crypt episode that was released uh, the same week. You know, if you were to follow along... Immediately following Edna Returns, you know, that week, there was an episode of Tales from the Crypt. So the week that Edna Returns, the Mad About You episode, was released in 1993, which was in December, there was a Tales from the Crypt. But also, I guess it would be, what, 24 years to the day, today, which is October 20th. Bum, bum, bum. Yes. October 20th, 1993, there was an episode of Tales from the Crypt that was released. And it was season, I believe it was season 5, episode 6. That may be right. <laughs> I may be crazy. Um, but this just might be the mini-sode that you're looking for. <laughs> exactly. Great. <laughs> um, there was an episode of Tales from the Crypt released that was called Two for the Show. Right. And this is a fun show. Tales from the Crypt is really very silly. You're saying fun a lot, which makes it seem like it's not fun. 
<laughs> no, I just don't have that large of vocabulary. I remember when I was in when I was in tenth grade taking AP European History. Um, Mr. Janowski, the teacher, I remember saying the following sentence. You know, I went to a private school for high school, and they've got the best English classes, so my vocabulary is very big. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, like Mr. Janowski, my vocabulary is very big. Big. And so I say fun a lot. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. Sure. <laughs> okay. Um, the acting on Tales from the Crypt is becoming my favorite kind of acting. Okay, so here's what I will say about that. We started watching the series chronologically. So we started with season one, episode one, right. of our October rewatch, and we're one disc in. So that's what, like six or seven episodes? Give or take. Some of them have held up surprisingly well. That's true. In my opinion. Yeah. So it's it's a style of acting that. I don't think we see a lot on no. TV anymore. It's very pulpy. It's very deliberately kind of stylized and over the top. And I'm like, I'm already going to disagree with myself as I just said that. Because I'm like, I'm trying to think of like, American Horror Story might be the closest we kind of have sure. of that yeah. in contemporary um television acting where it's a the whole point is that it's like it's aware of itself right yes they're not going for realism there it's, right. it's very soap styled in some ways Ooh, taking a taking a shot at the soaps uh, hey I love it I love a soap but you would never you you'd never that. you'd never see you'd never confuse soap acting for reality that's true I understand your yeah comparison now um so yeah so all of that being said, this episode, uh, it co-stars, well, who was in this episode? Who was, uh, oh, Vincent Spano. Oh, dreamy Vincent Spano, who I remember from the movie Oscar. I do not remember him at Sylvester all. Sylvester Stallone. But, yeah. If... And Tim Curry and Marissa Tomei and Peter Rieger. <laughs> This is Where? a terrible movie. Am I am I wrong? You oh, love it's this gotta movie. be bad. I think Donna Michi plays his father, but like, guys, spoilers for Oscar from nineteen ninety three or four. Donna Michi dies in the end, and I think snaps Provolone, who is the oh the God. gangster that Sylvester Stallone <laughs> plays, has to take over his family's business, and hijinks ensue. Holy mob hijinks. Moly. Who doesn't love a mob hijink? I mean, who doesn't love a mob hijink? I like it. A, a, a singular hijink. Just the, just the one. Um, so he is in it, Vincent Spano, and uh, there's a, a woman playing the wife in the beginning of this episode. She is quickly dispatched of, and... Um, Which is what... We're not keeping an official body count, but we are kind of tracking how many episodes of Tales from the Crypt have to deal with unhappy marriages or marriages where one spouse murders the other spouse. It's a lot. Cold blood. It's a lot. It's a lot. Between between uh, between murdering spouses and uh, 
people stealing money. Yep. Yep. And yep. people murdering spouses for money. Mm-hmm. That's those are basically the three plot lines of Tales from the Crypt. Which I didn't remember as as much of. I mean I'm interested to see how much of that is like the earlier part of the series. Right. But this is from episode or this is from season five, so we'll find out soon enough. <laughs> we'll see. That uh the wife is played by Tracy Lords. Tracy Lords of adult film fame. And also John Waters film fame. Oh sure. I have not seen enough John Waters to recognize her from that. I also have not seen enough of Tracy Lord's adult film work. <laughs> I was going to say, you're more familiar with, <laughs> with her. Let me, uh, oh, it's just uh, hot. It's uh, hot in here. Yeah. Uh, what did I do? What happened? Oh, no. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, so, but yes, Tracy Lord's is in this. But the main character, the guy that brings this on home. For Mad About Mad About You. Here's the big connection. Oh my goodness. The linchpin. <laughs> You're gonna oh, are you gonna say the right brother? It's, I had to check. Ooh, it's David Pamer. <laughs> it's David Pamer. Brother of Steve Pamer, writer of Mad About You. I'm double checking <laughs> right now <laughs> to make sure I'm saying the right about? Pamer. This makes me very uncomfortable. But yeah, he's he's in this episode and he's great. <laughs> Did Dave Pamer produce Mad About You as well? No. He's only tangentially related to it through Stephen. Is that right? Yeah, uh, yes. I don't I do not believe that David Pamer was in it at all. Stephen wrote Stephen and wrote and, and I believe he produced okay. and he uh, he showed up in the episode from a few weeks back. Right, working he'll, in he'll rent you a movie or two. He'll rent you a copy of Aladdin. Exactly, yes. Against your mom's wishes. Yes, that that <laughs> sinful, sinful Aladdin, I guess. <laughs> Verboten. We do not discuss Aladdin. So yes, the episode of uh, Tales from the Crypt, two for the show. Uh, it opens, of course, with the Crypt Keeper. Sure, a, classic. A, a disgusting, wonderful skeleton puppet. Um, who cracks puns. And he is at his best in this episode. This was an exceptionally punny opener for the Crypt Keeper. Um, and kind of on brand for for you guys. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's right in our sweet spot. Right. Um, because he is, he's kind of doing a Seinfeld-style cold open. That's right. Where he is a stand-up comedian. He's wearing a blazer. <laughs> I have a lot. I mean, he's wearing an outfit that, frankly, would be just right in line with something that Ira would probably wear. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, his, his outfit is very, very Ira Buckman, for sure. Um, <laughs> it would not look out of place in the world of Mad About You. No. It's it's on it's on target. He, was he wearing a vest? No. He just had a tie and a suit jacket on. I believe so. I think. Yeah. Oh, no, he didn't I'm, have a vest. I no, if he had a vest, no, I would have... We, 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 we would lost, remember... We would have lost our minds if, if he had, had a vest on. was wearing a vest. Absolutely. Um, so he opens things up with the crypt. The crypt keeper, of course, talks like this. Oh, boy. And I'll do this to some extent, oh, but not boy. the whole time because it's terrible. Did you know that John... So John Kassir is who did the voice of the Crypt Keeper, and he would have to have, like, hot tea and lozenges and all this stuff after he recorded. Oh, yeah? Supposedly. I, I that's believe what, it. That's what IMDb said, because it was so strenuous on his vocal cords. Sure. I just did that for a second, and I'm already I know. Sure. You're going to be... Well, we have a, probably 
lukewarm Diet Coke somewhere underneath okay. your feet. Good. Then. If Thank you get goodness. into a really big pinch, you can enjoy, you can enjoy that. <laughs> Thank goodness. So, uh, so Crifty opens up with some stand-up. And uh, he says, I tell you, ladies and germs... That ghoul friend of mine... I can't do it without the voice. It needs the I voice. I know. You need to do the voice. I do apologize. Well, go So, ahead. here we go. I tell you, ladies and germs, that ghoul friend of mine makes me so crazy. She told me she thought she'd look good in something long and flowing. So, I threw her in the Mississippi. <laughs> I laughed out loud which, at that on her couch. Which, look... But I'm laughing now. Let's start by saying... Violence against women, not okay, not a fan. Nope, 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 nope. That's a pretty good joke, though. Oh, man, it's a great joke. Especially if you're a skeleton puppet. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. totally. Mm -hmm. And then then he says, And how about that Ernest Hemingway? Always shooting his mouth off. Now, uh, suicide. Not okay. Not a, not a topic of joking and enjoyment and pleasure. And uh, not okay. That being said, pretty good Ernest Hemingway suicide I mean, joke. I was like, ooh, what? Here we go. What happened? Here we go. Getting Here, into it. Setting it up. <laughs> uh, and then he says, I know you're out there, folks. I can hear you bleeding. And then after breathing. that happens. No, he could hear them breathing. I thought he said bleeding. Well, no, I... breathing because they cut to the audience and it's all other skeletons. That's the joke. But breathing is the actual line. That's the actual... I know you're out there, folks. I can hear you breathing. Right, but it's funny because they're all dead. Okay. Okay. <laughs> they're flipping it a little a bit. A little bit. Not a lot. I'm laughing one way or the other. This is the thing. <laughs> so, guys, don't worry. Whether I get it or not, I'll just laugh at things. <laughs> um, and then there's a voice coming that comes from the house. This is the best. And it's just some guy that says, "Get, get- a life!" <laughs> he yells, "Get a life!" And it it's was great. great. It's a real fun bit. I enjoyed it. <laughs> um, and that takes us into the episode proper, and we get overhead shots of. A couple of dinner plates. Well, it starts on one dinner plate, and it will pan to another one. Mm -hmm. So it opens on a dinner plate that my immediate reaction was, this is a lot of starch on this plate. Yes. You see a woman's hand with very long red fingernails Mm -hmm. uh, on her right hand, and she's just kind of pushing around what is half a plate of rice, some potatoes, and a little bit of broccoli. Mm Mm-hmm. And then in her left hand, she's twirling a necklace and a woman's high school, like, signet ring. Yes. And then we pan. I, so I said, I was like, there is no protein on her plate. It, you're absolutely right. I was like, is is she a vegetarian? Well, is that well, is there some quinoa? There was no, well, there was no quinoa. No but quinoa. Rice. But to Ress's point, the camera pans across the dinner table and we see just the starkest of contrasts is an incredibly bloody piece of like prime rib or steak and the voiceover is David Paymer and he's talking about his day and just like the jerks at work yes. kind of like setting up that he, how powerful and yes. how much power he has at his company. Yes, he's a very arch man. Right. Yeah. And uh, 
yeah, we see that she, <laughs> that's where we see David Paymer and Tracy Lords, and she announces that she's going to leave him. Right off the bat. Right, right off it. the bat. We're she's in it. Unhappy. We're not going to wait around. I want passion. He says, oh, you want your allowance. I understand. Right. He We're, thinks this is, he thinks everything is a negotiation. He thinks that he can buy people. Right. I'm not drawing any parallels to anyone that we all <laughs> might know. But he thinks that women are things <laughs> and that everyone has their price and that this is a decision that she has made completely motivated by money. Right. And uh, she says, I don't want money. I want out. And uh, she confesses. She says, I've been having an affair. Yep. What a gasp. <sighs> who, who could cheat on David Paymer? I mean, he's a catch, you guys. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, she says, I'm, we're in love and we're going to be together. If anybody wants me, I'll be in Chicago, <laughs> she says. Which is a funny way of leaving. Yeah. A conversation. If anyone needs yeah. me, I'll be in Chicago. A fun, that's a fun way to leave your husband. Who are, who are the people to yeah. meet? I'm leaving you, but take all my calls <laughs> still. <laughs> Forward my messages. <laughs> I think that line could be just a little bit over. No, I think that's great. <laughs> I think you're killing it. Um, and we then cut to her packing a bag. Where there is, as you put it, a lot of aggressive suitcase zipping. There were, it was used to punctuate every single word that you said. And, Which uh, is more of just like her screaming at David Paymer that she wants out and she's not in love with him anymore. Right. All that jazz. Right. She's, she's making a break. And. For Chicago. For the big lights of Chicago. The Windy City. And, uh, yeah, we're not sure exactly where the episode prop, where this part of the episode takes place. Well, I have, uh, I've got some theories. We'll so find we'll, out soon. Yeah. Um, and David Paymer, this is a fun little bit, where David Paymer says, you can't leave, you're going to make me look like a schmuck. And she really gives it to him by saying, you already look like a schmuck because you are a schmuck. I think it was just... Or it was just before It was just that. before that. Yeah. So... It was very pointed. Yes. Schmuck is a very loaded word. Sure. So loaded, in fact, that David Paymer then begins to strangle his wife, saying, Who's a schmuck? <laughs> it was the most intense, dramatic, uh, violent utterance of schmuck that I can remember. Yeah, she really spits it out at Yeah. Her. Ooh. Vicious. So she's struggling for her life, and she reaches over and grabs a pair of scissors. Out of this open sewing basket that is... I have thoughts about this. You, you sew. You, you, you dabble in the sewing arts. <laughs> have you ever seen just like, here's my scissors, here's my open sewing basket, here are the scissors that are on top of it. Like, that's not the weirdest thing to me. I was trying to make out what else was in the basket along with the scissors. Uh -huh. It was like red and blue, like raffia, like just a bunch of weird stuff that it could have been like your, like empty out a junk drawer into a basket. Sure. And like leave it on your bed. R that's true. Like, yeah. The fact that 
she was like it was as though he's, the night yeah, before he's on top of her and he's strangling her and he's holding her down on their bed yes and she reaches over with one hand yes and out of her open basket of sundries right grabs an enormous pair of scissors as though she had been prior like the night before she'd been like before i go to bed i just need to cut these strips of felt right she was darning his socks right <laughs> she was sewing a getaway outfit <laughs> oh black stripe white stripe black stripe white stripe oh how hard is it to to, to make a, a chain a, link a zebra what is yeah. this outfit Oh, she's an old, she's an old timey, uh, an old timey prisoner. Prisoner, yeah. Ooh, okay. She's a beagle boy, basically. Okay. <laughs> uh, so um, she grabs the scissors and she cuts his face. Right. Gives him a nick, maybe a, a half an inch a long. Palpable hit. Sl- yes. Slices down the side of his face, where we will see that little strip of blood mm. for their rest of the 25 minutes of the episode. <laughs> um, and uh, then he tragically stabs her in the chest from behind. They're wrestling. He's trying to wrestle the scissors away yes. from her and ends up stabbing her. Yes. Kills her deliberately. You, you want to talk about a palpable hit. That was one. This is one. Um, yeah, that was a, the line after a hit, a palpable hit from Hamlet was, oh my god, you just stabbed me in the chest with scissors. Unless I'm mistaken. Yeah, you use my sewing scissors. <laughs> those are just for sewing. You're going to dull the blades. <laughs> those, those are for... Yeah. Those are my sewing scissors. Those are fabric-only scissors. My stabbing scissors. If you want to stab someone, get the scissors from my desk. <laughs> <laughs> so then we cut as soon as we smash cut from the stab to the police office. Ring, ring, ring. Ring, ring. Ring, ring, ring. Phone goes off. And the most casual cop in the world. My favorite moment, I think, from the entire episode. He answers the phone and says, police department. Police department. Just so stoked. Police department. Hey. Very hey, happy. Hey, girl. Hey, police department. Hey, girl. Hey, police. Uh, and then he asks, he says this twice within 20 seconds. He says, are you sure it was a scream? Right. He, so he's, yeah. So he's doing that phone acting thing where you have to drive the story mm-hmm. forward by um, giving exposition. Right. But you are only, as the audience, able to hear one side of the phone call. Right. So it's... You heard a scream? Yeah. Are you sure it was a scream? Yeah. I I love this combative cop who is just un- I want him I want him to favorite. follow up and be like, "Well, it might not have been a scream. Uh might it have been a uh I don't know, something going very fast down the street." That was my first little inkling. That I was like, know how invested this guy is no. in actually getting to the bottom of your any po- any kind of police work. You're tonight. absolutely right. Sitting across the desk from Casual Cop is Vincent Spano, who is another cop. Yep. And he is arguing on the phone with his wife. Deep conversation. Tough stuff. And um, Casual Cop hangs up, 
after again asking, are you sure it was a scream? And he's disappointed that he's not going to be able to get to his paperwork because now he's got to go and take this case. Right. His response was, I'm just when I thought I was going to be able to get some paperwork done. Because you know how cops love to do paperwork. Mm-hmm. They love it. Uh, they're, they're broke. There's also, I'm pretty sure that if you're a cop, you're in the department, you're in the office, and then nobody gets dispatched. They don't call and say, hey, are you out and about? Go to this home. Well, this is a real, we have, a, there's a real kind of city mouse, country mouse kind sure. of That's theme true. happening in the episode. So I think that the town that they are in, which is a, tr- a train's distance from Chicago, right? Um, it's, it's a small town. So I, I don't know if they have a dispatch. I think that like, it's the kind of thing where if you need the police, you are literally just calling the police station. Sure. And whoever is by a phone or a desk is who's picking up the phone. Okay. I think it's a small town police Could station be. is what I'm arguing. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. You're probably right. <laughs> I'm glad we got that cleared up. Good. <laughs> so, uh, we've learned that this woman is screaming and casual cop who's bummed about not being able to get to his paperwork, the first thing he does goes and he gets himself a cup of coffee. This was confusing to me. Yes. Because uh, it's one thing to have, oh, I got to go out and do this thing. Okay, well, I'm grabbing my hat and my keys and here I go. A woman calls the police station Mm -hmm. and says that a neighbor is screaming and is being attacked. And this cop's first response is like, I'm going to go get a cup of coffee. I got to get some coffee in me. I would have loved for him to have said, don't even tell me about women screaming until I've had my coffee. I mean, he's a real beanhead, this one. A beanhead! <laughs> um, so, Vincent Spano decides that he will go and investigate this. Right, so he's listening, he's overhearing, yep. the, he's overhearing casual cop take down the address uh-huh. or the names it was I think it was the name of the um, the neighbor and Vincent Spano recognizes the name because he's like Conway aren't they at 402 Blotty Blah Street apartment right. apartment 402 and casual cops like yes they are yeah and he's all too eager to say yeah 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 go ahead Vincent Spano but hey I thought you were going on vacation with your wife. You were supposed to leave an hour ago. Yeah. Uh, well, I said I'm going golfing. Fishing. I didn't, uh, fishing, right. I said I'm going fishing. I didn't say I was going with my wife. Golfing on a cop salary? Come on. <laughs> so stupid. I'm so sorry. Um, so we cut back to the apartment. And David Paymer is trying to squeeze his wife's body into a trunk. The tiniest, the tiniest trunk. Yes. With a, just a normal-sized lady body. Normal-sized lady body, very, very tiny trunk. And uh, Vincent Spano arrives. And that, you hear that knock at the door and you panic. Yep. And so then David Paymer lets him in. Vincent Spano starts asking questions. Says, how'd you get that cut on your face? How'd you get that scratch on your face? And David Paymer says, oh, I cut myself shaving. They go over to the trunk that we just saw, and David Paymer says, oh, it's full of, it's, uh, it's got the towels. We keep our towels in the Yeah, trunk. you know how everybody, you know how when you've got a big trunk. At the foot of your bed. It's just always full of towels. It's, you 
got that towel trunk. Well, they do. So this is full of towels when he... Yeah, they do the dramatic... Yeah. He whips open... He the, the cop whips open the lid of this trunk. Towels. Towels, damn. But while he's down there looking at the towels, he notices the ring that was on... The last time we had seen the ring was around Tracy Lord's necklace. Yes. Is now on the floor by the trunk, and so he picks up the ring. Yes. He asks David Paymer about it. Yes. It is from Marysville High. Marysville High. Class ring. Class ring. And uh, then we get, <laughs> we cut to a really, really great shot. We're in the bathroom, and it is an overhead shot of the bathroom. It is, there's a bubble bath drawn, and we see Tracy Lord's face in the bubble bath. Right. Everything else is Everything else by is bubbles. bubbles. So David Paymer, you know, the water is running. And David Paymer is hiding his wife's body in the bathtub in a bubble bath. Yep. He had answered the door in a white robe to obstruct all of his blood-stained clothes. Mm -hmm. Dude is thinking of things. He's working fast. When it comes to wife murder, David Paymer is playing chess when the rest of us are playing checkers. <laughs> right. Um, and so, yeah, he, uh, he covers up her face with bubbles. Um and says, oh yeah, I like to take a bubble bath. It's very relaxing. So which I said, that's a really smart place to hide a body. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> he's good. Guy knows what he's doing. Quick on his feet. Uh, so Vincent Spano tells David Paymer that other cops will be arriving later, as is the... Uh... Tell the other, just tell the other guys what you told me. Yeah. When they that's standard by. procedure. And then we cut to David Paymer cutting up his wife with an electric carving knife. I mean, it is, it's an electric carving knife. Again, we had seen it earlier on the dining room table. He yes. had been using it to slice the meat. Mm -hmm. He's now hacking this body to pieces. Yes. In the bathtub. It is violent. He's in the bathtub. And he is throwing body parts from the bathtub. Back in that trunk. Into the trunk. <laughs> and... Of those body parts, Jen, how many feet did we count? There were at least three feet. At least three <laughs> feet counted. thrown from the bathtub. <laughs> so, uh, Tracy Lords had a lot, a lot of feet. I, I, guess, I was going to say a lot going on, but we can mostly just confirm a lot of feet is what she had. <laughs> so, we then cut to the train station. Uh, where David Paymer arrives with a very... He's to towing a very heavy crate. Oh, right. Well, he tells... Okay, he's got so the we trunk. skipped over yeah. the fact that he... T so, Vince... He tells Vincent... He has to tell Vincent Spano that um, he... I'm like, oh, we skipped a whole bunch for when Vincent Spano comes to the apartment. Yeah. This is how we move the episode along. <laughs> Like you're really drawing out parts. here. You're really whoa, 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 Russ! You're yeah. skipping things. <laughs> well, he's like we we see David Paymer start to try to get ahead of the police, right? Because um, Vincent Spano says, "Oh, one of your neighbors called the police because they heard a woman scream," and David Paymer tries to tries to play it off and say, "Oh, I I I don't know about that. Which neighbor? Which neighbor was it?" And Vincent Spano says. I didn't say, so it's like, ooh, we right. got a real cool game of cat and mouse where right. they're each kind of equally 
trying to suss each other out. Yes. So this is interesting. Yes. Um, and David Pamer says um, his wife left to go to Chicago. Right. Yes. Which is what is ultimately going to get us to this next scene, which is in the train station. Yes. So David Pamer is at the train station, going to Chicago. Dragging that trunk by. Dragging the trunk. Uh, and he leaves without attaching a baggage tag. Or he leaves the baggage right, tag blank. Checks, right. He checks the... the he trunk. tries to check the trunk. And he gives the tag back to the porter, I guess? Sure. Um... Without his information on it, because you don't really want to have the ability to track a bag full of your wife's body parts, right? Three feet, right? And everything we didn't back even, to you. We saw three feet. We didn't see any hands. Who knows how many there hands? There was had. one arm, and then like, and then her, the head that he. Yes, he, yes. <laughs> so, Vincent Spano, as it turns out. Is also at the train oh, station. Officer Fine. Dun, dun, his name dun. is Officer Fine. We didn't say his name, Officer but his Fine. name is Officer Fine. Right. And what was his name? What was uh, David Pamer's name? His name is Andy. That's right, Andy. And his wife's name was Emma. Right. Um. So, Officer Fine is at the station, and the porter comes by and says, "Hey, you didn't fill hey, out your Mister, tag. You didn't fill out your tag. One of one of those." Yeah. If we lose it, there's no way that we'll be able to get it back to you well, ever. No. It'll go completely unregarded. Yeah, really laying it on. Yeah. Quick. And uh, so then he fills it out and puts his name on it. Yeah, he puts his actual name and address on it. And I think out outside of actually murdering his wife, that's his first big misstep. Very <laughs> dumb. <laughs> yep, in that moment. Right Porky Pig, like anybody would. Right. One, sure. two, one, two, three, Happy Street. I mean, if I ever turn up missing, guys, look for Look for Porky, Porky Pig. Pig. <laughs> or I guess don't look for Porky Pig. Porky's in it. This is to exonerate Porky Pig. This conversation. John, don't lose this audio when Russ sends it to you. Keep it in a safe place. Download it onto a flash drive and put it into a safe deposit box. I will, I will Venmo you some money for it. <laughs> so, so uh, David Pamer gets on the train, and uh, he sits down, and Vincent Spano comes and sits down right across from him. I mean, this cop is just on him. Everywhere. He's just on him. Breathing down his neck, giving him nowhere to, really, nowhere to go. Really putting the heat on him. Mm -hmm. David Pamer says, you're going to Chicago? And uh, Vincent Spano says, yep, case I'm working on. Can't really talk about it. Can't really talk Ooh, about it. okay. Well, again, just more intrigue. Yep. They talk a little bit more. They talk about wives. And then Vincent Spano says, let's say you were going to murder your wife. How would you do it? Right. Well, but, and again, I don't want to drag us back into the conversation, but the whole, Vincent Spano, when he sees him in the train station, uh -huh. says, oh, where are you going? And David right, yes. Hammer has to say, I'm going to Chicago because my wife, after you left, yeah. my wife called and wants to reconcile. Yes. And Vincent Spano's like a happy ending. I don't get to see many of those in my line of work. Absolutely, yes. So that's how they rationalize. Right. So then, the again, sorry. So jumping no, no, back. No, no, please. Jumping back and they're sitting together uh, in their train car. Mm -hmm. And 
Vincent Spano is like just kind of staring David Paymer yeah. dead in the eye, and he's like, "I bet you would." Or he runs through a couple yeah. of different options. He's like, "Stabbing's a bad idea. Blood spatters in the strangest places, places you wouldn't even think to clean." Which and, kind of makes David Paymer like gulp yeah. a little bit. And he says, I think you'd strangle her with your bare hands in a moment of rage. Am I right? And, yeah. And David Paymer leaves to go and not be interrogated sure. anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, he gets himself some meatloaf. Right. So they're going the to the dining car. car. I This is where I started to have a little bit of trouble with the timing. Right. Of where we were in time and space. Right. So we know we're in Marysville. That's the town that we're in. And they're going to Chicago, and they're talking about the train getting in at 6 a.m. if they're lucky. Mm-hmm. And there is a half-full dining car of people. Yeah. And it's maybe midnight or 1 a.m. It doesn't... Uh, I'm not... It I'm does, things like, don't line up. I was just... I started to struggle a little bit. I, I hear you. It was... Uh, I'm always bad. I'm terrible with timelines. Um, so that being said, yeah, it was, uh, it was not clear. It was meatloaf o'clock, Jen. <laughs> well, it's always meatloaf It's o'clock. always meatloaf o'clock. It's meatloaf o'clock somewhere. <laughs> so David Bamer's eating some meatloaf and Vincent Spano finds him and sits. Guess who plops down right at his table? Just Officer Fines back. Right on his heels. Always. Spano points at an old man and he says, that guy's a drug smuggler. That's the case I'm working on. He's like, oh, okay. And uh, David Paymer's very relieved. And Vincent Spano reveals that FBI agents are getting on in Peoria very soon, and they're going to be searching every bag. T-minus 22 minutes and counting until they arrive. T-minus 22 minutes. We've got a ticking clock. Yep. I love it. This I don't know if this was when or it was earlier. It might have been when David Pamer went at the train station, but I was just like, ooh, I love a train. Sure. Scene. Yeah. Like, I love, like, I'm very excited about Murder on the Orient Express. Oh, my that goodness. I'm... I have a lot of feelings about Kenneth Branagh's mustache. Yes. The movie may be... The movie will probably be terrible. I'm mostly in it for the mustache. The mustache is fantastic. <laughs> Murder on the Orient Express. Go support independent filmmakers. So, uh... David Paymer goes to get, um, he cooked again, he goes to get some air, so he as gets he some says. Air. What were they talking about when they were eating the meatloaf that made him, well, he oh, said, yeah, oh, the right, fact yeah, that, right, 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 they the said FBI. we're going to, yeah. So there's, so the David FBI, Paymer thinks yeah. that FBI agents are going to flood this train in 20 minutes, and Vincent Spano, Spano was saying, right, that's They're right. going to so search every bag. Every bag, every single bag. Took forever to get the search warrants. And they, it's funny because they have to say that. They have to say it took forever to get the search warrants in order to make it legal. But also, that's not... A, you you, that's you a, can't do that. Do you think that that... Do you think it's because they... Do you, okay. Well, I don't think you can. Okay. Here we're... Now we're going to get into something. Uh-oh. You, here we go. Do you think that they did it for the legality? Or do you think that they did it for the people who are watching that are just like... You would need some search warrant to get through those bags. You can't just open anybody's bag. I think it's that one. You think it's that one? I do. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I think that they, I think that if they hadn't said it, they, uh, they're like, we got to put that in because exactly, it'll really take people out of the episode, mm-hmm. out of the world. 
Mm-hmm. No, I think you're... Yeah, I think... I think you're right. I think that they did it for the okay. nerds. Okay. And I think it's one of those things where, like, it doesn't... I don't know if it really holds up to... Because can you do that? Can you just say, um, we're going to search everybody's everything? Um, I mean, I guess I guess TSA does it. I mean, listen, full disclaimer, I'm not law enforcement sure. now, nor have I ever been. Okay. But I think with probable cause, you can. This is before the Patriot Act, also. I think, oh, boy. Right. This is a pre-9-11 world to work. Right. So, I mean, I, I would think that if... There were so many families at that train station oh just saying goodbye to the people right at the, right right at at the, the gate, gate like you, you used to be right able to. At the gate. <laughs> Nobody had to take their shoes off at the train station. He, could take, he just had his water bottle with him along with the trunk full of his dead wife. Those were the days. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> A trunk full of his dead wife. <laughs> oh, man. How would you describe That's it? That's exactly That's how. What it is. I wish that I could have described it that way. Oh my gosh! All right. So, David Paymer so goes. Speaking of that truck. Yes, he goes to get some air again, and he goes to the baggage car where there are twelve bags for the entire train. There is a half a dozen bags for this incredibly full twelve o'clock train to Chicago that's going through overnight. Yes. Yeah. And he throws, he, he finds, I was going to say his wife's trunk, but I guess he finds well, his wife slash trunk. I don't, I don't know who, I don't know who purchased it. <laughs> and, um, he removes his tag from the trunk and attaches his tag uh, to another we trunk. Got a, there's a switcheroo. A switcheroo. He pulls in the old switcheroo. And he throws, uh, he throws the initial trunk off the train. And then he goes back to the dining car, sits down. And Vincent Spano's tone changes. Yep, there's a shift. They are now at Peoria. People are getting on the train. FBI is arriving. And Vincent Spano says, can I tell you something? You made a real bad mistake with the ring. <gasps> oh. He's on to What? The ring? He knows the whole time. And is that when he turns his wing around? His ring around? Oh, boy. Uh-oh. <laughs> It is his when he turns ring his around. ring around, yes. So what has looked up until this point, just like a wedding band, we now see just this enormous high school ring mm-hmm. with a big, like, garnet um, colored stone in the center of it. Incidentally, that is how I uh, showed, uh, when I would do shows back in college and needed to be a married person, you and I worked, uh, we, we worked on a show, an A.R. Gurney play, called, uh, oh gosh, what was it called? Ooh, ooh, uh-oh. The first show that we did together. I know. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, oh, The Problem it was called. A short A.R. Gurney one did act. Did he write the yep. problem? Yep. Alright. And, uh, yeah, I had my high school class ring on. Oh, is that and, how you did it? And to, per, to perform as a married person, I turned it around so that it looked like a wedding band. Smart. Smart, you smart. Could also I could murder anybody. Do a lot of other things. Sure. Um, so yeah, he it's a it's a class ring, and he knows the importance of a high school ring. This cop does. It means something to people in this town. He says. He goes. You give it to. He's like you give it to someone you care about. Yes. And he says, I think you're. I think someone gave that ring to your wife. 
I don't think she'd just leave it. So he knows that something's up with his wife. Yep. And then we get to... We, we, we are in profile of both uh, David Paymer and Vincent Spano. And they were ping-ponging between the two of them yep. as they speak. And David Paymer says, You're the guy who's been having an affair with my wife. And he says, Well, I didn't kill my wife. And I'll show you how much I didn't kill her by showing you my bag. I'll show you the, 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 the trunk. Right. So state police have entered the car at this point, and David Pamer is going to show all of them how there is definitely not a dead body in right. the bag that he has checked on yes. the street. So he brings him back to the baggage area, says, open the trunk, and he tries to open the trunk, but he doesn't have a key. So the cop opens the trunk with a switchblade. <laughs> right. Very bizarre. Pops, pops that trunk. Right open. Right open. And the trunk has a dead body has in it. A dead body. Has a dead woman's body Hacked in it. to pieces. Looks an awful lot like David Pamer's wife. But we learn it is not David Pamer's wife. It's Vincent Spano's wife. <gasps> David Pamer's wife was having an affair with Vincent Spano's wife. Twist. Who did not see it coming? It's her high school ring. It's Vincent Spano's wife's high school ring. My goodness. So David Pamer gets pinned with the murder of Which Vincent also, Spano's wife. Now I'm just realizing that it would have been a... I don't know. Okay. I'm just like, it would have been better if... Uh, better is objective. But... For, to make the, the reveal even bigger. Oh, I can't say our words. <laughs> to make the reveal even more kind of, woo, mm -hmm. jump, is if she had had, if it had been a men's ring all along, if it had been a men's high school ring all along. Okay. Um, with the conceit that, because what, it's my understanding that Vincent Spano and his wife were high school sweethearts. Sure. So, in theory, like... Oh, that's my Vincent ring. Vincent Spano would have given... Right his ring to his wife in high school, which sure. I think is what the practice used to be. Yes, I believe that's true. And I'm like, all you listeners who have given your high school rings to your girlfriends or boyfriends. Tweet, at the soda shop, yeah, sure. Yeah, tweet at Russ. <laughs> tweet, tweet at Russ whose ring was given to whom. <laughs> this, is, this is me just kind of, this is, I'm just giving it a rewrite. Absolutely. Yeah. Punching up is, as you know, punching up these scripts is most of what we do. <laughs> okay. Um, so. When when you guys reshoot it. Right, exactly. So David Paymer gets pinned with the murder of Vincent Spano's wife. And uh, he, Vincent Spano then says to the cop, he says, uh, it's time for them to go back home. This is crazy. This whole scene. Because, the, and it wasn't until the second watch through so this whole time Russ is like I'm driving and Russ is going through the notes that he has kind of taken on behalf of both of us uh -huh. and we watched it once just to kind of like get a, a a single watch through and then we went back and kind of watched with a more critical eye right I think that's too strong a description sure. of how we no, watched that's it fair. That's at 11 o'clock at night last night but when I it was during the rewatch that I was like this is crazy because it is three or four minutes into that scene 
after the trunk is open with his dead wife that he points to the trunk and just says, that's my dead wife yeah. in that trunk. Yes. You murdered her. <laughs> and has zero emotion about the fact no, that his wife is cut up in this trunk. No sadness, no horror, no nothing. He's. It's almost as if he knows that his wife is going to be in that trunk. Hey, Jen. Hey, Jen, I got news for you. What's that? He murdered his wife. What? Vincent's found a word. He murdered his wife. That's right. Twist again. Double twist. Double twist. Vincent Spano says, I'm going to rent a car and drive home. Right. The cop, the state police is yeah. like, you've been through a lot tonight. Maybe. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem like you're having too much of a reaction to that. Right. But there's an express train. <laughs> yeah. One would theoretically be exhausted and emotional right now. Right. So there's an, extra, an express train back to Marysville in an hour. In about an hour. Right. So you can hang out here and catch that train back. And Vincent Spano's like, no, I just need some time. I'm going to go rent a car from where? Like, where? Well, they're in Peoria. Never yeah. mind. Never mind. They're in Peoria. There are rental car places. <laughs> but again, at midnight that are open? Okay, whatever. Um, so he's going to, he needs to, he's going to rent a car because he just like needs to kind of drive and be on the right. open road and process all of this. And, uh, yeah, he says, life can be such a grind. <laughs> and then we cut to him at home. Fade out on the train. Was there something else about the... No. No. no, no, that no. Was it. That was it. Life can be such a grind. <laughs> and we cut to him wearing a, an apron. Back in Marysville. Back in Marysville. In his kitchen. Yep. Wearing an apron. Oh, gosh. What did the apron say? Do you remember? Uh, that apron, oh. it says, don't mess with the chef. Don't mess with the chef. Don't mess with the chef. And he is standing in his kitchen with the trunk open, taking body parts from the trunk. Right. And he has gone to yeah. collect the trunk that David Pamer chucks off of the train. Yep. And we are watching him now take those body parts and push them down into his garbage disposal in his kitchen. It is gross. And great. And his ha the hand is kind of in this it's middle finger of, it's up. It's kind of giving up the finger. Yeah. It's, uh, and the headline. Oh, Dateline! Go ahead. <laughs> Husband kills wife's lover in bizarre love triangle. Right, that's the the cover of the Marysville Chronicle that he's reading with one hand and disposing of a body with the other. Yeah, he, they are showing all their cards in this last scene of the episode. Yeah. Tying up all loose ends. And then we uh, we fade from that. We return back to the Crypt Keeper who's wrapping up his set. I'm also like, I know that it's funny, the idea of him like being able to put his, like to get rid of this body right in the to the consumer grade right wouldn't work <laughs> disposal you're very scared of the, the garbage oh. disposal at my parents oh house. I hate that garbage disposal <laughs> it is I'm guys I'm legitimately <laughs> scared a, of that garbage disposal thing. Russ won't use it I, I I do not I do not like I did not grow up with a garbage disposal um the fact that the I'm just like, hey, if you're gonna have a home grinding unit <laughs> in your sink that's also hand sized, maybe have the on-off switch. Like, I don't know, be like, there should be more 
It should be more difficult and more right. different. They're, it just looks like a light switch. It's a light I, switch. I don't know what your disposal uh, switch looks like. Again, tweet at Russ pictures of your garbage disposal Please switches. Please do. Everybody, tweet at me pictures of your garbage disposal switches. But there's, there are identical light switches on either side of the sink, yeah. and one turns the garbage disposal on, and then the other... Is there a switch there? No, I don't know. Now I may be confusing myself. I, I think, think it's I think it's just the one switch on the one side. It it does I mean look, it could be the only switch in the entire home. <laughs> you're staying away from it. What it, it does you're not, you're Yeah, what happens when you switch it is that something goes We were visit we were home visiting my family this summer and we had corn on the cob for dinner one night, and one of those like corn pokers to make it easier to hold corn got stuck and almost broke the garbage disposal. So at the end, I was like, "There's no way that disposal's gonna get rid of that body that easily." Oh yeah, there's, you're you're absolutely right. Think about Fargo. Think about how much difficulty. Peter Stormare had I mean, he getting really a body to, down like, put, an, an industrial wood chipper. I mean, he really had to put his shoulder in, into that 2x4 to yeah. get that. Yeah. Yeah. He's this. Uh, this and uh, I know it's just, yeah. I know it's not a real thing, but. I mean, a little continuity. A little bit of realism. I mean, come on. All I'm asking for is a little realism. So, anyway, then we cut to the talking skeleton doing stand up. <laughs> and uh, he says. I guess it's true what they say. Better dead than wed. Pretty good, I guess. Good. And then, for his it's big... On, it's on theme for it is. all of the tales from the crypt. It's true. Being married is literally the worst thing that can happen <laughs> to a person. And there are people that are murdered in every single episode, yeah, almost. They sure are. <laughs> so, for his big closer... The crypt keeper throws a grenade into the house and says, Now that's what I call bombing. Take my life, please. You enjoyed that little bit. I did. I liked all of it. You liked that. I liked all of it. And that was what was on television back in October, October 20th, 1993. On this day. On this day. Tales from the Crypt. Two for the show. Two, I almost said two of the car. I almost said two of the ro- two on the road. Oh two boy, for the road. Two for the road. Uh, it sounds too much like too many other things. So, you know, our our top note for this episode. Uh, punch up the title. I mean, maybe rethink it. Um. What would you re- okay? What would you rename it? Um. Two for the show. Is what it is now. It's what it's called now. Uh, Ostensibly because there were two wives. <laughs> I'm I'm going to do something that I don't want to do in the future. Uh-oh. But we've talked about Uh-oh. how... Um, so we listened to How Did This Get Made? It's a podcast that I enjoy and that Jen enjoys. Yeah, it's a good podcast. And one thing that happens in their live episodes... Is oh no! They go into the house oh, and so, take questions so from audience members. I'm already apologizing. And Paul Shear says to these people who are not professional comedians, they puts them on the spot and says, "Oh, come up with a fake, oh, come up with a fake name. What would, what else would you name this movie?" Oh, and like, they're never good. It's and it's always it's the it's worst. My, it's horrible. And we listen and we're just like, just don't do that. 
And so now here we are in our own podcast saying, hey, so what else would we call this episode? I was trying to think of like train No, puns, I hear you. They're hard. Or like time puns. Do you, can, do you have any at the right? Well, I'm trying to think of other train movies. Like not Murder on the Orient Express. Sure. Or of like, uh, or like high school kind of, I don't know. No, it's hard. It I is? I mean, it's not, it's not easy. It's hard. Or it's, it's easy for people who are better at this than I am. Or it's it's easier to do when you have, you know, you need a paper and pen. Sit yeah, down, write, have, think about it. I should have thought about this. It's okay. I'm trying to not let us get rear-ended by a tractor-trailer truck. It's an important thing to do. Uh, that's, that's, I guess, the only update from the road. If, yeah. In the, in, the, in the ongoing updates from the road. If you are series. afraid of something going wrong in front of you on the road, the best, your best... Uh, the best thing you could do is to try to stay behind it. And uh, <laughs> if Gary has taught us anything, <laughs> um, so that is it for that episode, and that is it for this uh, semi mini sode. Uh, it's uh, we hope you've had fun with it. Jen, thank you so much for joining. Thanks for having me. Um, <laughs> I hope this was okay. I do too. I think it was. <laughs> Um, we have a theme song. Who wrote the theme song? Oh, the theme song is by John D. Ivy. Mm-hmm. Oh, and this is where we're going to drop it in right now, usually. Mm-hmm. So drop it in right here. Great. You have a logo. The Mad About, Mad About You logo is by Nathan Diffie. And your sound mixing is by Pubonovich. So thanks, Boo. Thank you to everybody. And thank you to you, Jen. This has been a delight. Again, you're welcome. And I kind of didn't have a choice. <laughs> Oh, come on. I'm just teasing. I hope that you had fun. I hope that you had fun, Rise Guys and Rise Gals. John, I hope that you had fun. I hope that you continue to have fun. Yeah. Hi, John. And um, we will be back uh, uh, next week. We look forward to speaking to you then. I'm and, Russ Fader. Oh, I'm not John Marbley. <laughs> and, and this is what, what we're saying. saying.